for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. It is a Monday. It's Pro Football Talk Live, NBCSN, Sirius XM 211, Sky Sports in the UK and Ireland. June the 15th, halfway through the month of June, less than three months to go before the start of the NFL regular season. And still plenty of things happening, even though no football practices have happened since the end of the 2019 season. He's Chris Sims. I'm Mike Florio. He's having technical difficulties again. I'm trying not to be amused by it. I can't help it. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hello. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what's gone on. I mean, it's been three months of my iPad working perfectly. And for some reason, the last two shows, I can't get returned. I can't see you. So, yes, you know what I want to do. I want to go crazy. I want to swear. I want to bash my iPad here to start a Monday morning. But uh, nonetheless, well, you, it's good wait, to hear your wait, voice. You've already done two of the three off camera. Just don't make it the trifecta during the next break and bash the iPod. We'll, we'll, I'll do we'll my deal best. with the other stuff or iPad or whatever it is. Or, or uh, Anyway, it's good to see you. We can see you even if you can't see us. I got a haircut. I was all excited to show you my haircut today, and you won't get to see it until you watch the, the uh, show on uh, TV, the re-air after we're done. Anyway. There's still plenty of stuff happening in the NFL. More and more of these teams are ending their virtual offseason programs, which means the players are basically floating on their own, doing their own thing until training camp opens, whenever that is, and we're hopeful that will be in late July. The other big story that continues to engulf the NFL, the movement for equality. It's now been three weeks since the murder of George Floyd. There was the murder of Rayshard Brooks on Friday night in Atlanta. That's another troubling incident of excessive use of force by uh, police departments. And we continue to see more and more examples of NFL players who are willing to make it known that when the time comes for the national anthem to play, they are going to join the protesters and take a knee to continue to bring attention 
to this plague of excessive police violence. The latest, two prominent white players making it known what they plan to do. And this came out over the weekend on social media. Baker Mayfield of the Browns, Chris, J.J. Watt of the Texans, both making it clear. To go along with Bill O'Brien, the Texans coach who told John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, and this came out Friday afternoon, that O'Brien, the head coach of the Texans, is going to take a knee. This movement continues to grow, and as a practical matter, the more white players and coaches that are involved in it, the more significant it becomes. That is what I think was missing, sorely missing the last time around. It's not missing this time around, Chris, and it it keeps growing and growing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's very significant. It really is. And, And because, hey, at the baseline, all right, White people, more times than not, are the, are the root of the problem here in this situation. So that's why it's awesome to see so many prominent white players come forth and make these strong statements and everything like that. And I think that's what's different about this time around, Mike. I mean, it's kind of a microcosm, I think, of what we're seeing in society. You know, I think we had a lot of, you know, what they say, what, woke white people who were very aware of the injustices and things that were going on in the world against African-Americans and black people and people of color, but we're kind of just like sitting on the sidelines, watching it all happen, hoping for the best, right? But I think that same group of people this time around has said, okay, I'm woke, the hell with the sideline, I'm getting in the game, I'm getting involved, I'm going to make a difference this time. And I think we're seeing that it, not only is this, a, a, you know, what we're seeing in the NFL, But what's happening in the NFL is kind of a microcosm to all of society. And uh, it's good to see because this is what we need to do to change some of the wrongs and issues we have in this society. Yeah, I think we talked last week about how people just go about their daily lives and they see something like this. This is in the past. They see it. They feel bad. They know it's wrong, but they just continue to go about their lives. It doesn't puncture their bubble. It doesn't affect them personally. So it's like spinning two different plates. On one hand, this is awful. I feel bad about it. On the other hand, I'm just going to keep living my life. And I feel like this time the plates crashed together and people had their bubbles disrupted. People had their awakening. And all of those terms that used to get thrown around in a pejorative way, Black Lives Matter used to be controversial, woke, social justice warrior. I mean, those are all points of pride now. People are standing up saying, yeah, call me woke. I don't care. Call me a social justice warrior. I don't care. Look down your nose at me because I'm trying to do the right thing. I don't care. Baker Mayfield made that point on social media when he elaborated on his initial comment indicating that he was planning to knee. Everybody's so upset about my comment doesn't understand the reasoning behind kneeling in the first place. Nate Boyer and Colin Kaepernick came to an agreement that kneeling was the most respectful way to support our military while also standing up for equality. I have the utmost respect for our military cops and people that serve our country. It's about equality and everybody being treated the same because we are all human. It's been ignored for, the, for too long, and it's my fault as well for not becoming more educated and staying silent. If I lose fans, that's okay. I've always spoken my mind, and that's from the heart. And that's Baker Mayfield. Good for Baker Mayfield. Good for Baker Mayfield. I mean, that's the attitude that the NFL needs to have. Hey, if you don't like the fact that people are going to be kneeling, if you're going to huff and puff, go ahead and blow our house down. We got other fans. You know, we'll find other people to come watch the product. And by the way, we don't really believe you when you say you're going to huff and puff and blow our house down. You're going to huff and puff, but you aren't blowing anything down because what else are you going to watch in the fall on Sundays? You love football and you're going to watch football and you'll 
you'll deal with it. You'll work through the five stages of grief because your your sport is being invaded by by politics. And I mean, it's the first two minutes of the game anyway. It's not like it's happening during the game itself. So good for J.J. Watt, who made his position clear as well. Good for Baker Mayfield, who elaborated on it in a way that it needs to be said. This is the message that needs to be sent to people. It's not about disrespecting the flag, the military, or the country. It's about using that moment, using that platform to bring attention to a serious problem. Now, look, Justin Jackson of the Chargers last week, Chris, he suggested maybe we, we won't even need to kneel. Maybe it'll be it'll be so obvious, the message will be so clear, and action will be taken to the point where it won't be necessary, but maybe. it's only three months away. It's only three months away, and there's a lot that's going to have to happen to get to the point where, where it won't be needed. But right. at some point, it won't be needed, right? If the progress is made, if the change is made – if the issues that caused the kneeling in the first place get solved, then you don't need to kneel anymore. So that's my, I guess that's the key message. Anybody out there who doesn't like the kneeling, commit to making changes that are necessary, and then the kneeling goes away. It's that simple. Right. right. Well, I mean, I mean, we're making progress, as we've seen. I mean, we think, but then things that, you know, not like we talked Not Friday to, night in Atlanta. Not Friday not, night. Not, that's not what Ray I mean. We, Brooks. So we think... Exactly. We think we're going in the right direction there, but then all of a sudden something like this happens. So, of course, you know, that justifies the kneeling even more by the players and everything like that. First off, Baker Mayfield, this is why people love Baker Mayfield. This is why you and I like him. You know, this is why sometimes we got to deal with, all right, every now and then he might say something to a media member. We go, oh, don't say that. You're better than that or whatever it may be. But it just shows you his leadership once again. His ability to kind of not care about what people think about him, which I have tremendous respect for. And, you know, I, yeah, I don't think the kneeling issue is going to go away. Like, you know, to your point, Mike, I don't think enough progress is going to be made here in the next two to three months to where, oh, players are going to go, okay, we've gotten the message out there. No, I, I don't think we have. But I really do give Baker Mayfield a lot of praise for, you know, making a strong stance and not caring. And I think that's what the NFL has to do a little bit here, too. And that's where we hear a little bit of the lack of leadership from ownership and things like that. Like, listen, NFL owners, NFL, hey, you know, we, we, we don't care. If it's bad people watching and they're threatening not to watch it, who cares? They're bad people. Let's try to appeal to the people that are good people in this country and trying to make it go in the right direction. So uh, I think that's what Baker Mayfield set a great example with and you know, it's just great to see so many white players and especially another prominent white quarterback come out in support of the movement. And I think it'll uh, ring true in a lot of people's ears who don't want to hear it necessarily. One person in particular has made it clear that he won't be watching if there is kneeling during the anthem. Now, this all came up over the weekend in the context of U.S. soccer changing the rule that was put in place in 2017 when Megan Rapinoe uh, took a knee in support of Colin Kaepernick, U.S. soccer put in a rule saying thou shalt stand during the anthem. That rule's gone. Some politicians have reacted to that angrily. The president retweeted a message from Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan said, let's get this straight. United States soccer won't stand for the United States national anthem. Trump retweeted that and said, and it looks like the NFL is heading in that direction also, but not with me watching the latest salvo in the fight that was renewed nine days ago when Drew Brees made it clear to the president, engaged the president on this issue. The commissioner's video from nine nights ago made it clear where the NFL stands. 
The president has taken a couple of swipes at the NFL since then. That's the most recent one. The NFL has not engaged him on that one. I think they're just going to ignore any of that noise going forward and just focus on doing what they think needs to be done. And if the drum is going to be banged by the president over and over and over again, I think the NFL is just going to go about its business. They're not going to – now, there may be players that from time to time will – will specifically direct a message to him. But I think the NFL and the teams are going to try to not engage him on this. But also at the same time, I feel like there's not going to be wavering in this position that we saw expressed by J.J. Watt and Baker Mayfield and Bill O'Brien that there will be kneeling during the anthem no matter who doesn't like it. Yeah, well, let's let's not blink an eye at these type of people again. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but the president and, you know, Representative Jim Jordan, they're, they're not in the, the good fight here. They're not. And the NFL needs to stay strong with its stance because it's the right thing to do for American society. And of course, it's a league that does not exist without black people. So that is uh, two huge factors. But more importantly, the time has come to, yes, you know, again, let's just stay, keep going forward, NFL players, NFL, the league, everything. Don't worry. Don't get in the, you know, uh, a, a, a spat with the president or anybody, uh, you know, in, in Congress at this point. You know, I have an issue with what Jim Jordan said there. Yeah, yes, the United States soccer team is not going to stand for the United States national anthem because guys like you who are the United States House of Representatives sometimes don't stand with the rest of America and fight the things that are really going on here in this country. So that's why. People are going to kneel because you won't stand up, Representative Jim Jordan, and you have your own issues. So I'm sorry, but I just that's where I feel about that. I don't mean to get too crazy here, but he takes a shot at players and athletes. He's he's opened himself to take take some shots, too. Here's the thing. And this became clear in the example that was set by Drew Brees 12 days ago. You can't stake out middle ground on this. It's one side or the other. And there is no in-between. There is no fence to straddle. And so, you know, as people bristle at the idea that politics are invading their sport, and frankly, they only don't like politics invading their sport when it's political viewpoints they disagree with. When it's political viewpoints they agree with, it's perfectly fine. It's just the ones they don't like that invade their comfort, as someone articulated last week. It takes away my place of comfort. Only when it's a political viewpoint that makes you uncomfortable, that makes you think maybe you should reassess the way you view things. That's when people get uncomfortable. They don't want to have to deal with that when they're escaping, but as long as they agree with it, it's fine. The problem is the two roads are coming together here. As the president makes it more clear that he is staunchly against kneeling during the anthem, we already knew that, but as he continues to remind everyone of that and people of his mindset remind everyone of that, and more and more players and now a head coach are joining in the notion that Kneeling is not disrespect. Kneeling is sending a different message. It's inevitable that that the two are going to come together. And we saw the comments from Greg Popovich to Maureen Dowd of the New York Times over the weekend that illustrate it's unavoidable that if you take a stand for kneeling, you eventually are going to be on the wrong side of the president. And Popovich, very, very strong in his criticism of the commissioner for getting intimidated by the president several years ago and also criticizing the owners who support President Trump. And there are seven or eight owners that contributed a million dollars to the inauguration committee four years ago. 
And it's hard to reconcile that now in this yeah. moment when it's clear where right. the president stands. This isn't this isn't an all issues. Who do you vote for? Who do you support referendum? This is there's one very important issue right now to the majority, if not every NFL player. And it's important to fans. It's important to coaches. It's important to teams. And the league has said it's important to us generally. The video from Roger Goodell makes it clear it's important to us. And when the president is taking positions and saying things that shows he doesn't support that, he doesn't support the peaceful protests, he hasn't said the things that would mesh with where the NFL is, then it is impossible to reconcile the two. If you're part of the NFL and these things are important to the NFL, how do you support the person who is saying and doing things that are antithetical to what the NFL is trying to support? So it necessarily becomes political at that point, and it necessarily becomes fair to say, why do you wait a minute? Why are you supporting the person who opposes everything that the NFL is currently trying to do? Right. I mean, well, agreed. I mean, yeah, yes, that, that, that's exactly the point, you know, and we'll see what happens this time around. I mean, there, there better not be any NFL owners giving Donald Trump and, uh, you know, his campaign a million dollars this time around. You're going to have a true revolt within the NFL if that's, the, the, the you know, the issue or what, if that really does happen. I mean, again, you know, just like any like worker, they would like to know that the person that's employing them, you know, shares some of the more same moral integrity and is in the fight with them with some of the issues and injustices that are going on in the world. And I think that first is at first and foremost why some players are, are a little, you know, frustrated with the lack of leadership from ownership. The first time around was different. You know, you can give the owners a pass to a degree. You know, we, we just Donald Trump, we didn't know exactly or some people didn't want to buy into exactly what he was at that time quite yet. And I also think owners were donating money to just like, hey, President, Mr. President, just stay away from the NFL. Here's some money. Let us be. We don't want to start a controversy or a fight. But now that's in too deep. And I think everybody's going to be looking to see if these owners are donating money this time around and that they are. They're going to have big issues in 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 their lap here, and uh, I just don't. I can't imagine that they would make that mistake again. The limits on donation that is made to a candidate are like twenty eight hundred dollars. The big ticket items come when there are contributions made to political action committees or super PACs, and then the inauguration after the fact. So we've got two different waves here, and I think what, and I'm sure people will be keeping a close eye on contributions made by NFL owners, the right. companies they own or operate to these political action committees in advance of the election. And then on the back end, if the president wins re-election, the donations made to the second inauguration, and you're right, those kinds of things will, I think, be a hell of a lot more noticed and a lot more controversial this time around. And it also comes down to what active, visible support are you going to provide the president in advance of the election, given these current issues? It's, it's, right. it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be a fair question to ask. And, uh, you know, this is different than invading the rights that everyone has when they go to the ballot box. That is a private place, and who you ultimately vote for is a private matter. But if you are going to openly support someone, and if it's someone who is taking views that oppose what the NFL is trying to do, then it becomes a fair subject for criticism. And Greg Popovich unloading on that point on Sunday in the New York Times. The one issue that continues to linger, and we got some 
I don't know that I want to call it good news. It was kind of confusing news last week. Pete Carroll, the Seahawks coach, said Thursday that a team had called him about the visit that the Seahawks had with Colin Kaepernick back in 2017, and it's the first time Pete Carroll had heard from anyone else in the league about the visit they had with Colin Kaepernick, which creates the impression that that someone may be interested in Colin Kaepernick. Drew Rosenhaus had some comments to NBC News over the weekend, and one very important point that caused me to go back to the original comments from Colin Kaepernick and dust them off. And what Rosenhaus said is that Kaepernick was really ahead of his time with a lot of the things he was saying. If you play many of his interviews from years ago, they're spot on today. And Chris, it, it really is amazing. I want to read to you one of the first things Colin Kaepernick had to say about this in August of 2016. There is police brutality. People of color have been targeted by police. So that's a large part of it. And they're government officials. They're put in a place by the government so that's something that this country has to change. There's things we can do to hold them more accountable and make those standards higher. You have people that practice law, and our lawyers go to law school for eight years. But you can become a cop in six months and don't have to have the same amount of training as a cosmetologist. That's insane. Someone that's holding a curling iron has more education and more training than people that have a gun and are going out on the street to protect us. And I looked it up at the time. In California, 888 hours was what you needed to get your police certification. 1,600 hours is what you needed to hold a curling iron. So he was right. He was right. And when you see what happened Friday night, and it's difficult video to watch, when you see what happened to Rayshard Brooks in the Wendy's parking lot, it becomes abundantly clear that there are people out there who have the ability, the license, the authority to use deadly force and don't know how in the hell to use it and don't know when to use it and don't know when they shouldn't use it and don't know how to restrain themselves when they get punched in the face and the guy takes off with their stun gun and they've got their emotions and adrenaline going. They don't know how to how to refrain from resorting to the lethal force that they have attached to their hip, Chris. So there does need to be better training. There does need to be higher standards. He was right all along. And that's kind of where we are right now. We're seeing and saying this guy was right all along. Well, I mean, if this weekend doesn't prove that it's a real issue, then I, I mean, of course, we knew it was. A, but I mean, this weekend just accentuates it, accentuates it, Mike. I mean, with all that's going on in the world, you know, a cop is going to pull his gun on a guy who he's already got all the information of. Yes, he's got your stun gun. But as we know, that is not a deadly tool. But we're going to shoot him like he's running away with the keys to the United States or something. I don't understand that. And that just tells you that there is issues here. I mean, in the current climate where you can't turn on a news channel right now and they're not talking about police brutality and the injustice, injustices of the African-American society. And yet there we were on a Friday night with a white cop and an African-American, you know, being arrested. He runs and you shoot him. I mean, because he's got a taser. I mean, can't we just call other cops and go chase them and maybe just get them that way? I mean, when was it like now this is wild game and we just shoot people? Like, oh, he's running. I mean, it's just insane. So it just accentuates the problem and strengthens the case of the reality of what's going on here in this country. And that's what's infuriating is some people don't want to see it. Some people are still making excuses for Friday night. It's just unbelievable. But we just got to keep knocking at the door and educating people. And hopefully we can turn most people around.
I saw an interview over the weekend with someone from the police union who is going to say all of the perfunctory things that this was justified. And it was nonsensical what the guy was trying to say to justify this. Someone on MSNBC Friday night said, it's not like this guy was going to have a helicopter emerge out of nowhere and take him off to Kathmandu. This isn't a serial killer who was moving on to his next victim. It was a guy who was asleep in his car. He was drunk. He broke the law. He was going to face the consequences for it. And then he was going to face enhanced consequences for resisting arrest with violence. That's a felony in most jurisdictions. That's a problem. He was in trouble. But that doesn't justify the police officer in that moment acting as judge, jury, and executioner with no chance for the governor to call and give a reprieve. That's what we're talking about, folks. These people are walking around in our communities with guns, and they have the license to use those guns whenever they decide that it's appropriate. And yes, there are consequences when you use it incorrectly, but you know what? Whatever consequence that cop faces is nothing like the consequence that Rayshard Brooks faced. He didn't deserve to die. He deserved to be in trouble. He didn't deserve to die. And the people who are issued the guns and the ability to use those guns in the line of duty need to be held to a higher standard. That is not anti-cop. If I was a cop, I'd like to think I'd be very conscientious about use of force. I'd like to think that I was committed to doing the right thing at all times. And I'd like to think I'd be damn pissed off if there were other people out there in my community, in my state, in my country that made me look bad, that I have to deal with their crap because they don't know when to keep the gun in the holster, when to pull it out, and when to pull the trigger. I would be so pissed about that if I was a cop, and I would say any good cop out there should be upset about it. We hear that excuse, oh, well, there's just a few bad apples. Well, it looks like there's more than a few, first of all, but all the good apples need to stand up and find the bad apples and throw them the hell out of the bushel. Yeah, well, that, you're right. That, that's, that's a good point. You know, I can speak just as an NFL player, when we had a few bad apples, right, bad apples, you know, guys in the locker room, guys in the league, you, know, you get pissed Chris off Sims. when – but yeah, right. Wait, when players did dumb and stupid things, though, you know, you, know, you felt Sims. like, well, yeah, you felt I'm like just... you cheated us all. I know you're joking, but yeah, that's what you feel like. You're just like, I mean, gosh, you're, you're giving us all a bad name by what you did, you know, this weekend or getting arrested or whatever it may be. So, you know, and then, yes, within that, you try to correct that guy in the locker room. Like, hey, man, you're better than that. Don't be doing that crap. It looks bad on all of us. It just doesn't seem like that goes on sometimes in the police. It seems like, nope, I know you were wrong, but we're going to support you and your wrongness because we're policemen and we're all together and you're wrong. So I don't know, but we're supporting you. And I just that makes no sense either. You're right. I'd like to see a little bit more accountability there. And trust me, I am very sensitive to how tough that job is. I understand it. And I'm very thankful for the police department and everything they do. I really do get it. You know, they've helped me many times in my life, family members, whatever it may be. I know there's a lot of good ones, but like you're saying, it just seems like there's a few more than just a few bad apples out there right now. And and we need to fix that. And, you know, the one point I didn't make, as they decided that this man who was drunk and was running away with their taser needed to be shot and killed, there was a line of cars in the drive through at the Wendy's. You get a stray bullet, you get a bystander killed. Is that really the kind of serious, immediate risk that justifies the Wild West approach and bang, bang, shoot him up? I mean, it really, really is disheartening that it happened post-George Floyd at a time when people are supposed to be understanding 
these issues and acting accordingly. You just wonder how much of that is getting through to the people who need to be hearing the message. So, look, hey, we're here. We have the platform. It's crossed over to the NFL, and I think it's important to make these points. One last thing on Kaepernick before we take a break. And when I think back to 2017, the paralysis that teams like the Ravens had and other teams that were concerned they were going to lose fans, right? That's why they stayed away. That's why they all stayed away from Kaepernick. It's a business. It's a, has, has anybody stopped to think? Has anybody tapped into the expertise they have in-house to run the numbers on what it would mean to sign this guy? Setting aside right and wrong, setting aside that he should be in the league, setting, the, setting aside the fact that he's been shunned and blackballed by the NFL. Has anybody bothered to sit down and think about what it would mean in this moment? To your, to your business, if, if it was business interest that got you to stay away from him three years ago. I mean, first of all, he gets signed by somebody. You got the number one jersey in the NFL right out of the no gate. No doubt. Right out of the gate. No doubt. I don't know how right. much money teams make off of that. You got the number one jersey. Throughout the country, you have a national following right out of the gates. Whatever team you are, these teams want to do hard knocks to get a national following. You're not going to get a national following from hard knocks. You may get nationally ridiculed based upon all the dumb stuff that comes through the TV screen. You're going to get a national following if you sign Colin Kaepernick. And you're going to have your brand mentioned. You're going to have fans that are going to want to come to your games. And it's going to off. I think at this point, I, I'd, I'd like to think there's someone out there who can crunch the numbers for any of the teams that may be interested and come to the conclusion, this is a net gain at this point, regardless of I what's so. right or wrong. It's I think it's shifted to the point, Chris, where it is a good business decision, and I'm just waiting for someone to come to that conclusion. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think you're right. I mean, it's going to be big-time jersey sales. You know, we saw this when Nike gave Colin Kaepernick the, the contract. I mean, their stock went through the roof. You know, more people gravitated toward it. I think it is the time right now to where – Yes, there's enough people woke and aware of the situation and want to see change. And Kaepernick's such a powerful name and such a powerful figure in this movement that will bring people to fandom of the NFL that, you know, simply maybe just, oh, that team won this Sunday. Great. Now they might tune in and watch. You do, you make this type of, of move and sign a column with Kaepernick, you know, that makes this type of statement would be huge to uh, I think the country, and yeah, you're going to lose a few fans, but I, I think ultimately you're right, Mike. You'll end up gaining more fans than you lose. All right, uh, we'll see how that plays out. The other point that I made over the weekend too that that uh, you know when you think back to Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey and how Branch Rickey is remembered by history, and I know this is far different than the Jackie Robinson situation, but there are similarities. This is a player who by some is reviled, who by some they believe he should not be in the NFL, and they'll huff and puff and, and threaten to blow your house down if, if he's on your team. And, and uh, you know, just from the standpoint of how people want to be remembered on the back end of, of this time in history, I'd like to think there's some coach, general manager, or owner out there that would, that would love to seize the opportunity to be remembered in such a positive light as the person who stood up and said, I'm going to do the right thing here, and I'm bringing Colin Kaepernick back to the NFL. We'll see if that happens. All right, uh, college players have encountered some obstacles with COVID-19. We're going to talk about what that may mean for the NFL when PFT Live continues right after this. On top of everything else, the coronavirus continues to be at pandemic levels. There are increases in numbers throughout the country. There are plenty of people who either choose to consciously ignore it or they haven't bothered to stop and notice. It's raising questions again about the NFL's 2020 season. Jed York, the 49ers CEO, told Jennifer Lee Chan of NBC Sports Bay Area, there will be a season in some way, shape, or form. 
after seeing the progress of reopening, I am confident in that. I know our players and staff are ready and excited to get things rolling. Yeah, I've seen some of the progress of reopening. Some of the photographs are stunning. And, you know, it's when when you see a photo of a crowded nightclub, the first thing that some people say is, well, nobody said any of this during the protests. Well, the protests were an organic life form. They were something that happened in reaction to something that shouldn't have happened. It's not like people are saying, hey, I'm going to go out and have a good time here. They were going out to do something they thought they were compelled to do that overcame their fears of the coronavirus. And most of the people I saw protesting had masks on. When I see photos of these jam nightclubs, I don't see a single freaking mask in there, Chris. So these two things are not the same by any means. No, they're, they're, they're definitely not. Uh, you know, we, we've still got things to work out in society and, of course, in sports. I mean, that's where we're still in a tough spot here. And as much as I thought, like, oh, I'm optimistic the NFL is going to play and everything like that, I'm a little scared right now just because I don't know. I still don't know where we stand, Mike. You know, first off, yes, society is still in some, some areas kind of taking this lightly. So that's not going to help things two months from now. You know, this is we're seeing cases rise in a lot of the states that have, you know, taken away the stay at home orders and other things like that. Cases are going through the roof again. But then also, you know, again, just the progress with players in the NFL and things like that. I'm, I'm scared of where it's at, Mike. I mean, if we're seeing college football. Some of these schools are getting back together, having workouts, whatever it may be. And you're seeing that players are testing positive right away. And I just I just don't know where the NFL is at this point. And that's, of course, we know society is in, in, a, in a weird spot. But uh, I'm specifically talking about NFL here. And it just the society is kind of a microcosm to say, I don't know where this could go. And is it going to be realistic to think we can play a full season of games here? Yeah, the University of Houston's football program under Dana Holgerson shut down voluntary workouts after six of the athletes tested positive for COVID-19. So it's it's a reality as you bring people together and put them in close quarters. And here's the problem. Last week, we get the memo from the NFL outlining detailed protocols for what will happen inside of a facility. And everyone must be six feet apart. And it has to be that way at the stadium. And there is restricted access areas. And there's tier one, tier two, tier three individuals who may or may not have access. And it's all very detailed. And then we find out the NFL Players Association hasn't agreed to any of this. So how do we get the union and the league on the same page on such important matters? And then you've got John Harbaugh, the Ravens coach, last Thursday saying it's humanly impossible to comply with these requirements. And he's right. concerned that if his team complies with them, somebody out there's not, and they're going to get a competitive advantage because they're not spending time complying and otherwise using that time to get ready for the next game. That's going to be the problem. There's going to need to be an enforcement mechanism over and above the actual protocol that ensures that everyone complies. Otherwise, everyone's eventually going to break the rules once they hear the Patriots are doing this and this team is doing that and this team is doing that, so we're not going to follow the rules. And then the next thing you know, you're going to have too many guys who test positive to have football games. So they need and, – and, and, and again, and let me just be clear on this for anyone out there who may doubt my motive. I want there to be football season. And part of their being football season is ensuring that the people who are in charge are asking all the right questions, answering all the right questions, anticipating all of the hurdles before the hurdles are right in front of them and they have to try to jump over them. 
And I have yet to get the feeling of confidence necessary to believe that they've got it all figured out. I feel like there's a lot of make it up as we go and we'll deal with it when it comes and we'll cross our fingers and hope for the best. That's not going to fly, Chris. It needs to be more detailed. It needs to be more planned out. And there needs to be more agreement between the league and the union. And you better get the coaches on board, too. You know, they didn't have any problem sending out memos telling teams to shut up about this and shut up about that. They should send out memos telling the coaches to shut up, too. But I'm kind of glad that Harbaugh said what he said because it proves my point. We, we, well, we yeah. have yet to get to a point where we feel good about, about whatever is planned or not planned for the 2020 season. And we want it to yeah. be planned. And we want it to happen. Well, it's not concise yet. It's it's not real enough, you know. And of course, just just because we have somewhat of a good plan written down on paper doesn't mean you know there's gonna be, plans are gonna be you know thrown for a loop and we're gonna get thrown a curveball by by you know by unforeseen circumstances, things like that. You know, again, I, I'm gonna go back to this one more time. There's two things because I've been thinking about it a lot. Of course, I want football too. I mean, it's my favorite thing to do is watch a football game, let alone my job depends on it. So, of course, me and Mike want football. But, like, okay, you know, I'm going to go back to, like, because I saw Ohio State did it this weekend, like signing a waiver about the coronavirus, right? Can, can we get, again, I'm going to go back to that. Can we get the NFL players and the NFL together and have a vote and just see who's willing to sign the waiver and go, okay, I'm, I'm willing to play even if coronavirus is in the – in the locker room, whatever it may be. Mike, I know you and I also texted this weekend too. Is it a crazy idea to have like, I don't know, I'm just throwing this out there because I know me as a 27-year-old NFL football player would certainly be down for this. Is it crazy to get like the NFL players in into camp two, three weeks early, expose them to the virus, get them antibodies, put them in, you know, seclusion, don't let them see anybody for that two or three weeks, and then we can go back and just go to football and not have to worry about anything? I mean, I'm just brainstorming. I don't know. But these are things that, like, to what you're saying, you know, there's a lot of things planned out, but it doesn't seem like the hard line factors are quite planned out yet. And to think that nobody's not going to get coronavirus and we're going to escape through this by great protocol and all that, I just find that hard to believe. At some point, somebody's going to get it. And what are we going to do, like cancel certain parts of the season because five people got it, because 10 people got it, because one half of a team has it? I don't know. That, to me, doesn't make sense either. So, you know, I, I just, yeah, I feel like the conversation is lagging here a little bit between the players and the NFL at this moment. The example that you set out about bringing teams in two weeks early and exposing them all, that, that's an extreme, an extreme representation of what we were discussing. Here's, here's yeah. what I want to let everyone know. Most days we do a segment called PFTOT after the live show ends on NBCSN. That's going to be the topic for today. I I have some thoughts on that that aren't nearly as radical as bringing the entire team in and exposing them to the virus two weeks before you start training camp. But uh, it's a more subtle and it's more nuanced and it's a more individualized view on getting the antibodies in your system before you get to a point where you may get shut down for two weeks during a key stretch of the season. But that's coming up later today on PFTOT. Coming up on PFT Live, he's a future Hall of Famer on a Super Bowl contender. Why did Sims rank him number 16? 16 on the top 40 quarterback countdown. We'll talk about who that is next right here on PFT Live.
The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long for Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fantango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. All right, we got to number 17 last week as we work our way through the top 20. The bottom 20 have been revealed over the past couple of weeks. Now it's time for number 16. Oh, number 16. Number 16, a first ballot Hall of Famer, a guy that I would put in my top five all-time quarterbacks at number 16, down from number 10 last year. He is Saints quarterback Drew Brees. Oh, there he is. There he is with his Tennessee hat on, Chris Sims. Psych, Tennessee, I'm going to Texas instead. And there's Drew Brees, number nine. After leaving the Chargers, he's been with the Saints since 2006. Where's number nine? Is number 16. And, uh... Man, look, I understand. I know, I know you well enough to know exactly why you put him at number sixteen. But it's jarring to see Drew Brees at number sixteen. Well, I know it is. You know, I don't. It doesn't make me proud, right? I don't like it. Like I know people think, like, oh man, you you're a Drew Brees hater. Listen, do I think Drew Brees is as great as maybe most people do uh, in their eyes, or as great as you think he is? No, but I still think he's unbelievable, all time legend, obviously first ballot Hall of Famer. And at this point of his career, you know, again, a lot of people bagged on me last year for having him number 10. Well, I think last year proved out to be that I was pretty close to correct. I was in the general ballpark area, let alone we've had some other guys kind of, you know, get better. It's a year later. We've got a lot of young, talented quarterbacks in football. Yes. And some of them have passed him up. But Breeze, as we all know, you can still win football games. Can he still get you to the Super Bowl and win? Yes, I do think so, 100%, no doubt about it. But do I think he's special like he was four or five years ago? No, I don't, Mike. I don't. I still think he's really accurate. Of course, he's a great decision maker. He is a pretty good athlete. But lack of arm strength, lack of aggressive nature, there are yards left on the field when Drew Brees plays the game, let alone he doesn't always make a defense defend the whole field because of the lack of arm strength right now. So, you know, listen, I, again, I know we're in this PFF era. I love PFF, Mike. I would want to make that known. I really do. But I know, like, PFF has him the second-rated quarterback in football and, like, the 11th best player in football. Listen, New Orleans wouldn't be trying to move on and already starting the Taysom Hill era 
if Drew Brees was the number two quarterback in football. That's just baseline to tell you that numbers don't tell you the, all the story there. You know, that's the reality of the situation. Plus, numbers can't quantify how the genius of Sean Payton and, you know, numbers can't quantify when Drew Brees throws a six-yard completion, but there's a guy 30 yards open down the middle of the field and he takes a six-yard completion. He gets a positive grade where I want to go, oh, no, Mahomes or Rodgers or Watson would have thrown a rifle for 40 yards right there. And that would have been a better grade. So uh, those are some of the negatives right now. But certainly still playing at a very high level. And with Sean Payton, they're deadly together. There are a couple of numbers, though, that need to be mentioned. And there have been plenty of genius coaches over the years who haven't coached their quarterbacks to these kinds of numbers. 74.3% completion percentage led the league again. That's almost three out of four passes completed by Drew Brees. And a career high. Think about it. He's been in the NFL since 2001. Career-high passer rating of 116.3. Now, I understand across the board, passer ratings have mushroomed where 90 used to be pretty good. 90 nowadays is like, hey, get back to me when you get to 100. 116.3, the highest of Drew Brees' career, and yet he falls six spots. But look, I understand that we played the clip a little bit ago. What your list is based on, it's based on if my butt's on the line this year, who do I want as my quarterback? And I think there's an element of this where you're trying to get ahead of the reality that Father Time may be gaining ground on Drew Brees, who missed five games last year due to injury. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, yeah, I don't think like Tom Brady or Drew Brees are going to get better as they get deeper into their 40s. So, uh, yeah, I'm expecting from what I saw at the end of the year from a guy like Drew Brees, yeah, that it, it falls off just a little bit, you know, again, not to the point where we're like, oh, man, it's over. Drew's done. It's done. No, of course not. But I just think it'll be a little less than of what we saw last year. And he's just certainly not in the case or, or the class, I should say, of some of the, you know, upper echelon quarterbacks that are out there in no, the NFL right no, now. Who no, no. No matter how many times you say the word that isn't a word, it's not going to become a word. Upper echelon, no. Upper upper echelons, no. It's upper echelon. Come on, man. Upper echelon. You should have gone. Sorry, to, maybe sorry. you should have gone to Tennessee after all. <laughs> maybe, maybe they would have taught me that one. But you know, <laughs> again, Mike, I look at the completion percentage and those things like that, and I don't look at that and go, "Oh, that's that's." I mean, it's great, but I don't go, "Oh, man." That's unreal. No. I mean, in my perfect world, I'd rather say to Drew Brees and Sean Payton, throw for 69% and have a more aggressive passing game that scares defenses and can back off the really good defenses in the NFC playoffs a little bit more to where, you know, again, you know, we've seen when, good, when they play to play good defenses in the playoffs the last two years, they take away a lot of those short passing game and those Sean Payton, Drew Brees, quick, get the ball out of your hand, dissection type passes. And that offense tends to struggle. All right, let's look at some of the visual evidence to support what Chris Teddy is saying. Teddy Bridgewater did go good, five and zero, bad. Mike. Here we go. So you know. Here we go. Yes, Drew Brees. We we know that he makes quick reads and he throws the ball extremely accurately. Quick decisions, gets the ball out, gets it to the open man. A product of the play design, but still he can execute it, Chris. Oh, he can definitely execute it. I mean, his ability to read the coverage get the ball out with pinpoint accuracy in a spot where his receiver can run after the catch and do something special. That's where, you know, he really separates himself. His ability to diagnose the defense at the line of scrimmage 
and then make the proper throw is is really what he's all about. And yeah, he he now, you know, you get into some of the issues he has, right? We know the accuracy, timing, rhythm, but you see deep out route versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, locks the, lacks the pop in his arm, especially late in the year to drive the ball. You know, you see here against the Carolina Panthers, Teddy Ginn's gone. Then ball's 10, 15 yards underthrown. It's not even close. And then as you both, as we both know, we've seen these kind of mistakes in the playoffs the last few years, especially this last year against the Minnesota Vikings, the deep post, Anthony Harris goes up, gets the INT. But this is what I'm talking about, you know, just with some of the deficiencies of Drew Brees at this point of his career. Yeah, he can't stretch the field. And defenses don't necessarily always need to worry about what's behind them with Drew Brees at quarterback because you can kind of pigeonhole them to over the middle, short passing game. And it's hard to always execute like that, especially against the really awesome teams in the playoffs. And look at how the passes 30 or more yards down the field have dropped for Drew Brees. He had 41 in 2013, all the way down to eight last year. That comes from Pro Football Focus. And that's one of the reasons why we see Taysom Hill out on the field because Taysom right. Hill is the guy that's got the right. arm strength to get it down the field. I remember that playoff game against the Eagles. First snap from scrimmage. They had it ready to go. They had two weeks to get ready for it. They knew what they were going to do. Drew's going to throw the ball deep, and he underthrew yeah. that. First snap right. of the game. And they had two, and they had a bye week. So they, they, they were confident that was going to work, and it didn't work. And I think that, that that may have contributed to where we see the Saints moving in that direction where – whether Drew says it or not, Sean Payton's already said it, and he's tried to put the toothpaste back in the tube, but this, by all appearances, is Drew's final year. All right, quick break. Plenty more PFT Live is still to come. We'll be back right after this. 